You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Odds and Audible's podcast. Game day, game preview edition. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Uh, welcome to your Friday or your Saturday. Uh, the weekend is here. Uh, and we've got football at, at Odson Stadium. Uh, the number seventh ranked Oregon Ducks, six and one overall, taking on the two and five lowly Colorado Buffalo. 1235 kick on Fox. Uh, Aaron Goldsmith and Brock Heward are on the call. And guys, this I'm excited for this game a lot more than I was anticipating. Um, because one, I, I think the interest of did the offense turn a corner is back. Um, two, it feels like this could be a game in which Oregon gets their blowout victory of the year. Um, and three, if those two things happen, I'm really interested to see what kind of feedback that gives us going into Monday's college football playoff review show. Yeah, this is a big weekend, even though it doesn't feel like it, because I think you said the offense maybe turned a corner. I think the defense may have turned a corner. Yeah. I think this team feels like it showed some stuff against UCLA that was really impressive and, and, and some things we just hadn't seen, like the passing game with Anthony Brown. I know we know what happened in the fourth quarter. We need to rehash it. But up until that point was the best of the year by, I think, a pretty wide margin. And he made some tough throws throughout that game. And the statistics back that up. Defensively, they were tremendous at times yeah. that game. And UCLA couldn't do much of anything for portions of that game. And that's a good UCLA offense that does a lot of complicated things from a schematic perspective. Um, and this Colorado team's not good. And if Oregon can go out and, and win dominant fashion, I don't know if that moves the needle a ton nationally, but it certainly feels better than if it's another game where they win by a score or two and everyone's kind of mumbling to themselves and grumbling about, no, oh, we need to see this or that. I, I do think there is a chance that this is that momentum week. And because it is the debut of the college football playoff rankings, maybe that helps a little bit. I'm really curious to see what the committee does. I know we won't get into this because we'll have a reaction show to that um, sometime next week. But I'm very curious to see what the Oregon-Ohio State ranking looks like. And part of me thinks that Oregon would do itself a big favor by winning this game very handedly because Ohio State has certainly been the beauty, you know, beauty contest champion recently. They've been dominating teams and really putting up impressive statistics. Oregon doing something kind of similar against a bad Colorado team would, I think, go at least a, a decent way in terms of uh, ensuring that they're fairly represented in that ranking. You know, this is Oregon's last, not a real test for the season. Colorado's two and five. They've wins over Northern Colorado and 0 and seven Arizona. It's not exactly a great football team. So this is exactly the time for Oregon to actually win in a blowout fashion, which they haven't done at all this year. I mean, you can look back at the game scores and see that they won, you know, 41 to 16 against Arizona. But if you were at that game and you were watching that game on TV, you knew that that wasn't – it wasn't a blowout. You know, it was a close game, nodded all the way throughout the third quarter and then even into the fourth quarter as well. And this is a game where Colorado substantially lacked any offensive firepower. Their defense is good, but Oregon's defense – Right. A. Lamon is out. That's their leading tackler, middle linebacker. That's a tough position to, to just replace on the fly. Yeah. And you know, Oregon's defense last week showed that they can handle an elite offense. And, well, you know, UCLA is a really good offense. Maybe not elite, but they certainly were an elite rushing offense, and they held them to their season lowest, you know, 129 yards if you take out the sacks, which you should do no matter what. And Thank you, Jared. I agree. Thank you. Yeah. Over and over and again until it's changed. Until it's changed, yeah. We'll go – We'll go talk to all the, the statisticians and get them to change everything. But this is an Oregon defense that should probably have a feast this week against Colorado. Colorado uh, averages just a hair under four sacks a night. They're allowed. They're 113th in the country. They're tied with Florida International University and Texas State in terms of how many sacks they've given up this year. Big one. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the defensive line for Oregon is now healthy. 
KT is back. Brandon Swinson is back. Nate Spooner is good to go, even though he left the game with an injury. Uh, Popo Amuabe and Brandon Dorless are really, really good this year. They don't get the stats that they deserve, but they make an impact. They force pressure and they give, you know, right now with Kayvon Thibodeau in the game, they have single coverage. They're not getting double teamed anymore. And I think it's going to be disastrous for Colorado's offense this game. Let's play a quick game here. Uh, Love a good game. Will we be more surprised that Oregon goes out and blows out Colorado? Or will we be surprised that Colorado will ask freshman left tackle Jake Wiley to block Kayvon Thibodeau one-on-one, much like the last two teams at Colorado, or last two teams that Oregon has played, um, to attempt that. Like, What one feels more realistic, that, that we see a scenario where KT's one-on-one on the edge or Oregon blows out Colorado, like, and that, when I mean blow out, like 56 to 10. And both could be true, too. I mean, I think if if, yeah. if if they if they do honestly if they do just man up left tackle versus KT, it's probably going to be the outcome you're talking about, where it's just really ugly. Um, well, you know what's really interesting in this one is that Colorado did just fire its offensive line coach. Um, mm-hmm. The part of me goes like, I, I have yeah. no idea what their game plan is going to be, and, and that might be a challenge. I mean, not that there's, I don't know, I don't want to overthink this, but that could be something where Oregon's not not off guard, but doesn't exactly know what they're getting going into this one, just because maybe they do some things differently. Um, in terms of the answer to the question, though, um, I would be more surprised if they win by whatever you said, 46.7 scores. Then I, it would be ludicrous and silly for Colorado to try to just do that. And I know Oregon does have good players around Kevin Sibidol. In some instances, I think really, really good players. I think Ren Dorless is a very underappreciated player nationally in terms of what he does. And I hope he's a first-team all-conference player because I think he's deserved that this year. First of all, said him and Popo, if they have out there, they have very good opportunities to play at the next level. Yeah, which like he doesn't say that type of stuff, which to me mm-hmm. was pretty surprising. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think it's true. So no, I I would say I'd lean towards more surprised if they win by forty six or more than if they just say, hey, let's put you on an island against Kayvon Thibodeau and see what happens. Because <laughs> I don't think there's really a matchup that would be. I don't know. That just doesn't seem like it's very an intelligent way to approach defending a guy or protecting your quarterback against a guy like that. Yeah, I'd agree. I I, I would be surprised if they won by 46, 52 points, whatever the case may be. Uh, There's just going to be more opportunities for Kayvon to be one-on-one against Colorado's left tackle. Uh, I don't recommend that because we saw that last week against UCLA where Kayvon is one-on-one and Especially don't try to block them with a tight end. That's that's a recipe for disaster. And UCLA tried that once or twice and got burnt for it both times. But I don't – I know that they hired a new offensive line coach. I feel like that should have been a move after you play Oregon. I don't know. Just an idea. Um, instead of, you know, kind of a fresh meat mentality. But I don't think it's going to matter. I think Colorado's offensive line just isn't very good to begin with. Right. Uh, they've been just just disappointing all year. Uh, they're like their ground game hasn't gotten going, and Kayvon Thibodeau might have a field day if he plays all four quarters. But if there is a game for him to kind of R and R and get a little bit off the field, it would be this game, considering that they could be up by thirty by the time the fourth quarter rolls around. Um, but that would go to Matt's blowout prediction, and so I. I, I I anticipate there's going to be more single one-on-one opportunities for Kayvon Thibodeau rather than a blowout, but I think it'll be some sort of blowout, just not as extreme as 45, 46, 50 points. Now, I I think all three of us are in agreement that this is a team that if Oregon plays well, they should blow them out. And if they play four quarters of of really good football, this should be a game where – in that fourth quarter, the starters are not playing. Knock on wood, in theory, on paper, whatever you want to say. Um, and I think it was Eric earlier who brought up um, the style points, and Ohio State is certainly the talk right now across college football as a playoff team. 
And a large part of that is because they have been blowing teams out. And a large part of that is because they haven't played anybody of worth yep. really since Oregon. Um, I think their strength of schedule right now is 90th. It's going to get a lot better because they're playing like all the good teams on their schedule the last like five weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. If given the opportunity, should Oregon try and tack on some style points? I think they have to. I think this is a game where, much like last week down at UCLA, it was, hey, if you lose, you put yourself in a tough position to win the division. You're not out of it, but you're in a tough position now. And if you lose to UCLA, you're out of the college football playoff discussion. I I think – there was a lot of pressure for Oregon to win that game. I think there is a lot of pressure for Oregon to come against Colorado at home, a midday game, so people are going to be watching it all across the country and look good doing it. I think there's pressure there. If you get to a situation where Ty Thompson enters the game, and I should know, I asked Mario Cristobal kind of about the hierarchy behind Anthony Brown. He said it was Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, who are – he said pretty close, and then Robbie Ashford's way behind. But there's just kind of the, the update there. Um, sorry, Jared, that was your your boy, Robbie. Your, 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 diamond, your diamond duck. Um, I think what you're going to see, though, is if, if we do get a scenario where Ty enters the game, where they keep the offense open. I mean, we saw it a little bit against Arizona, and it felt kind of funky. I mean, I think you guys remember it was like, hey, let's run three like just bombs down the field, <laughs> like 25 points in the fourth quarter. Um, I. I think you'll see some, I don't think it'll be that extreme. I think I think you'll see them run the offense in part because they haven't had a lot of opportunities for these backups to really do that this year. And that gets to the point we made before where they just haven't had that killer instinct and the ability to, to win lopsided football games. I think if they get a situation where Ty Thompson's in, in the second half at some point, you run offense as normal. Um, you, you go through everything. You give your chance, your offense a chance to make some plays because as Matt said, I, I do think winning in impressive fashion does kind of matter a little bit. I mean, it's not the overwhelming thing. And I, I do think the committee will have a tough decision here between Oregon and Ohio state. If they have the same record and Oregon has a head to head coming into this thing down the stretch, I think that's going to be a challenge because Oregon in theory, based upon what we've heard for years about how they do this, the head to head is supposed to matter. Um, and Oregon has that at their place down cave on mm-hmm. a bunch of other players. Like they, they've got, they've got the ammunition there. Um, but I also think it's important that they, that they get some style points and run your offense in the fourth quarter and get some success from Ty Thompson. I think it actually is one of those things where you're, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone there by being aggressive late. You're getting opportunities for your backups to play, uh, keeping you know in the offense, not just having them you know turn and hand the ball off or, or whatnot. And you're also potentially scoring more points and adding to your margin, which I think is helpful too. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like there's pressure for them for style points. At least not yet. I'm more concerned with with Oregon just winning a game handedly, where it's a three touchdown game. Where sure. to me that's a blowout. And look, Oregon's offense will never be as explosive as Ohio State's is. They have Ohio State has, I don't know, probably five or six first round draft picks in that offensive room, and Oregon doesn't. Uh, you know, Chris Olave and and Garrett Wilson are just two first round picks right there. So. It's tough. I, I I understand why you would need style points because right now Oregon doesn't have that on their resume. They have good wins. They have a, the one of the best wins in the country over Ohio State, and they had their win last week against UCLA. Those are both games where Oregon was up relatively big, big comparatively to where they usually play their opponents and allowed those games to be close. And so when you're looking for style point wins, those were probably the biggest cases. I don't think a win by 35 is going to really impress anybody when it's over Colorado. If they go to Washington and beat them by 35, maybe. But then again, Washington's having a bad year. Utah, that would be a really impressive win no matter what. I think at this point, especially during the really early stages of the of the playoff discussion, I think just getting a, a, a big win is is more than more than okay. They just need to show that they can blow out a bad team which they just haven't done all season long. And I don't know, maybe the selection committee is, isn't is watching every single game as closely as we are for Oregon, and they just look at the box score and think that that was a blowout win over somebody. So maybe that'll help Oregon. But <laughs> we like we know, the fans know, that they watch their those blowout wins that Oregon has had. Those were not blowout wins. And so uh, for, 
for style points, it would be helpful. But what I'm looking for the most is execution, lack of silly penalties, and the fact that could this could the backups be in by the start of the fourth quarter? And then that to me would be a blowout win. Any more points after that? Sure. I agree with Eric where if Ty Thompson is in the game or Jay Butterfield, you just run the offense as it is. Try to score more. And then those are your style points, quote unquote. I almost kind of think like the most likely scenario that we get from a stylistic point of view of, oh, wow, that was a dominating performance. They were unreal type discussion is one in which Oregon maybe goes up like 38 to nothing midway through the third quarter. And they, they have like six total six or seven, just long drives. And they're all, they're all scoring drives essentially. And they pull their starters and the game ends 38 to nothing. Like nothing really happens after the starters get pulled. Um, But it's like, wow, they had, eight possessions and three quarters of play and they scored touchdowns on seven of them and Colorado didn't score in, in the entire game. I, I feel like that's probably the most realistic scenario that we, we see from this team where we walk away saying that was just a straight up basket game. You think maybe it's also just more about how well the defense plays. I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying the offense can't go out and score. I think 30, I think your your range right there is about when we'll get to predictions later. I feel like that's not unreasonable at all. 30s to 40 points. Um, Colorado does have a good defense, but I think it's going to be a little bit more of Oregon's defense shutting down a very bad Colorado defense. And maybe optically that's what's impressive. By the way, you said 38 to nothing. That's exactly the score it was in the exhibition women's game yesterday. Like, <laughs> 38 nothing before uh, the St. Martin Saints got on the board. It was a rough one for the St. Martin Saints. Great name. Very creative. But, but I digress because this is a football podcast, not a women's basketball podcast. But I, I, I agree, Matt. I think I think that's more the recipe of Oregon's not going to score 60 points in this game. But they might be a thing where they hold Colorado to a really, really impressive number of yards gained or force a bunch of turnovers. And the defense is so dominant that you come away going like, oh, boy. They did what they needed to do against, albeit, like, Colorado has an argument to be maybe the worst offense in Power 5 football. Yeah. Um, I mean, here's something for perspective. They, they average 100 fewer yards per game than Arizona. Oh, jeez. And if you take away their two wins over Arizona and Northern Colorado, this is an offense that averages like 180 yards per game. Per 180? Game. Yeah, 180, 85 per game if you take away – they had like 350 against Northern Colorado and something similar against Arizona. I mean, it is abysmal the way these, this team is, is moving the football. So the, the elements are there. The ingredients are there for this one to just get a, a term that Jared used previously, a laugher. Man, I, yeah. I feel very <laughs> uncertain of my prediction for my score right now because after hearing – I knew they were bad. I, I – I looked at the stats earlier in the week and somehow I just glossed over the fact that their offense is 180. That's that's if you remove the two big their two big wins. I said big like they were impressive, but like their two wins, so that's right. Yeah. They, I mean that's their losses. Like they're averaging 180 yeah. yards in their losses. Like I mean they're not much better in everything else. They're averaging 238 yards <laughs> total for the season, which they have, is they have two instances. worse. Sorry, which is worse than our, our good friends back east, the UMass Minutemen. They're at 287. I'm happy that's your barometer for bad football. I was going to say that there are there are two instances this season where, where Colorado's been held to 104 yards or fewer for an entire football game. One was last week against Cal, and then against Minnesota, a game that I we, the three of us were messaging about during it. They had like 64 yards in that entire game. So, yeesh. Bad. Not good. Bad, bad, bad. bad. Um, I, I don't even know how to transition from that. Like, <laughs> you want to talk injuries, Matt? We, you, you, Eric you, broke our brains. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. It, it wasn't quite as bad as Iowa State, Oklahoma State scoring line from ten days ago. I don't think Jared is fully recovered from no, that. You still need, not. No. You need like therapy from from, <laughs> that, from that fallout. Yeah, you injuries. Know, um, injuries are positive, right? Like. Mace Funa looks to be back. He, we saw him leaving practice, full full practice gear, everything. 
on Wednesday. Um, we know that Crystal Ball said Jackson Powers Johnson was good to go or should be okay. I'm paraphrasing there um, on Monday, but I, I think it's a stretch to, to expect him to play um, this Saturday against Colorado. He started at left guard for the Ducks against UCLA. Alex Forsyth continues to be a day-to-day operation, and it truly feels like this is one where you probably don't know until about an hour before kickoff if he's going to be able to play or not, and then it could go one way or the other because it's a back injury, back spasms. Powers Johnson I thought was out for a week, I thought he said. He's out know. for multiple weeks, yeah. Because he's, he's, gonna... he's booted. Yeah. He's booted mm-hmm. as ankle sprain. Mario said that the x-rays were negative. So that is, a, I guess, a positive in that situation. The other, the only player that's out for sure other than that is Apple. Happel, yep. who is yeah. a reserve nickel. Um, I don't know what the impact of that is ultimately. I mean, you're down Bennett Williams already, so Happel and Williams were two of your key guys there, two of your top three coming into the season. Obviously, Drew Hill is, I think, starting to play a little better, kind of find his footing. Um, Cristobal ran through. This is somewhat interesting. I don't know if it's that interesting to listeners, but I'll talk about it. Um, talked about just kind of the guys who might fill in behind Jamal Hill. Uh, they, they have Brian Addison was a name mentioned. They've mentioned Triquiz Bridges and Dante Manning, two corners as players that could fill in there. Barone McKinley's a name. And then Damon David, the true freshman, would be my guess, would be the first guy to get a look at it. But Cristobal, I think this was on, yeah, this would have been on Wednesday, uh, said it was too early in the week to, to divulge what that was going to look like, which is what it is. But I think on Saturday, that's going to be like a small thing for me to follow is just kind of who fills in there. Do they do they move a corner over? Do they let Damon, the true freshman, get a shot at it? Um you know that, but that's kind of is where it is. There, Happel's a, a name that will not be around, and, um, and that's tough for him because this is his last year of college football. I think that from a defensive standpoint, that's maybe like the biggest question I have is who backs up Jamal Hill because there really isn't with with Bennett Williams now out for the year and Happel out for the week there really isn't like a clear cut guy. Like I agree with you, Damon David's probably going to be the one that, that gets there, but I don't know if that's his best position. It just, there's a lot of uncertainty and, and it creates a situation where Oregon cannot have Jamal Hill go down. Well, the, the little guy, Jeffrey Bossa was supposed to be the number two yeah. there coming into the camp and now he's playing well linebacker. So, I mean, they, they, they are very thin at that spot, but do have some talented guys like, Maybe it's Damon David. Maybe it's Brian Addison. I mean, I, Brian Addison's a guy who we, we see play quite a bit on dime, you know, to steal mm-hmm. the first. I know James Kreppi is really excited about dime packages all the time. Um, we haven't talked a lot of dime on this podcast, but we will. Brian Addison plays on the he, – he's out there for those plays for when they are in that dime formation um, defensively. Maybe that's a natural progression for him to, to then fill in at, at nickel when Jamal's off the field. Yeah, I, I could also see Oregon kind of floating from McKinley – just around in every any safety position. Um, yeah. I forgot who said it, but uh, I, a player said that he knows every position on the field, like all, all the plays, all the schemes. Probably, I, probably said that himself. He probably did. I just can't remember what it was. But and you saw this in 2019, where he and Javon Holland, you know, started at two different spots and then switched during like midway through the year. And if Oregon feels that. You know, hypothetically, if Jamal Hill were to go down or have a targeting call and is out for the rest of the game, um, if they feel like Verone could could play in that nickel spot and somebody could slide over to to Verone's position, I think they would do that pretty pretty easily. And it's a bit of a concern how thin that is now. Bennett Williams is out for the year, obviously. That Cristobal did say that he only expects Happel to miss this week of games, so that's a positive development, but I mean, like I said, all it takes is Jamal Hill to get a bogus targeting penalty. Yeah. And especially if he's, if it happens in the second half, right. He's out for the rest of the second half and the first half of the next game. So that's the, that's the struggle that Oregon is running with right now. They're in like linebacking depth too with Jeffrey Bossa. So they, and Heath Brown hasn't necessarily been great. I would say he's been, um, pretty tough to watch and in, in, in replays and reviews in the past game. So 
Oregon is thin at those two spots on defense, but thankfully their defensive line is now healthy, which is giving those positions all the time in the world to try to set themselves up because the pass rush is getting there. I forget if I mentioned it, but Mario did mention Verone as a candidate to fill in at nickel. So, but yeah, that's another name to know. It's going to be interesting to see this team and just kind of how they look. I think there's certainly a lot of hope, a lot of optimism out there that this team can kind of turn the corner and get that big win. Um, I, I think the first quarter is going to tell us everything we need to know um, about how the game goes. If Colorado is able to move the football and – they don't even have to score, but if they can go the length of the field and if they create a turnover in the next, you know, inside the Oregon 20, you know, I, I think that tells me that they'll have some success probably or maybe more success than expected of being able to move the football. And if Oregon's offense just repeats what they did at UCLA with nothing in the first two drives – you know, it could be a it could be an interesting game to watch. I, I I would be concerned a little bit if Colorado gets up early. Um, not that they're not that Oregon would lose, but just I don't think this team plays. I don't know. I, I, part of this part of the time, this team plays really good when their backs are against the wall. Crystal Ball has said that a bunch, but I'd like to see this team come out and just deliver the knockout punch. And I, and I think that for offensively is my biggest question is, do they have that in them? Um, because we've, we've yet to see it. And I, I think this is a perfect opportunity to to show that to, to us, to the fan base, um, which we should also bring up real quick. Hmm. And this is the first time Anthony Brown will be back in Austin since being booed. Really curious to see kind of the, the reception that will be like, especially the comments that Cristobal said, which he said he needs to be better about, you know, after the UCLA win. Well, they, they better not boo again. And, and and honestly, you hope it doesn't get to a point where Anthony Brown or, or the offense gives him any ammunition to do so against right. this Colorado defense. And again, the, the Buffs are not a bad defensive team statistically. They're third in the conference in scoring defense. Um, part, I mean, I, I think a big component is Nate Landman, who's like arguably one of the three or four best players in this conference from a defensive player perspective. And he's a very, very talented player. Um, I think leads the conference in solo tackles. Um, so somebody to kind of, that's, that's, that's a big loss for them, but I don't know. I mean, don't, don't we feel like this is, this is the time, you know, and, and, if, and, if the, and I'm, I'm not condoning at all booing because I think that's bunk and I think it's stupid. Um, part of me just hopes there's not even an opportunity for the fans to, to get to that point. Yeah. Um, because if they if they if if the offense plays poorly against Colorado, I think that's just that's not good because that just sort of continues the trend of lesser opponents struggling to put them away, stubbing your toe too much. Like, I want to see a clean football game, and that's honestly one of the big keys for me is like limit self-inflicted wounds, get better play at quarterback, play four full quarters, and just play clean football. I, mean, I want to see that from this team because we haven't seen that all season, and this feels like if there's ever a team to do that against, it's this team. Yeah, 100%. I think Anthony Brown and the offense have saved themselves for this week in terms of potentially being booed. Um, you still see a lot of the arguments from fans that they were booing the coaching staff for their yeah. offensive decisions. I still don't understand it, let alone buy it. Um, it's clear that again, if you if somebody was sit, were to sit down and rewatch the games, slow it down, go through all the plays that they deemed were bad, or just you know whatever the case may be, whatever they didn't like about it, it's all about execution. And at the end of the day, you know that's not the coach's fault for lack of execution, or well, it could be, but in this instance, I don't believe it to be. Um, Oregon needs to come out on fire on offense. Yeah. Like, there's no other way about it. They need to do – I know they struggled against UCLA for the first two drives of the game, and it kind of made you – and then UCLA went up, you know, 14 to nothing after the block punt. And it was one of those feelings where it's like, ugh, Oregon might be might get routed on national television. And then they flipped the switch. And while Oregon will have the opportunity to 
probably wait and flip the switch again. Oregon needs to come in with the switch already turned on. They need to start throwing downfield more, just like they were doing at UCLA. Yep. Uh, giving Anthony Brown little reads every once in a while, but really trying to work on the run game, work on RPO options where getting the defense to really bite into it and then having Anthony Brown run from it and giving their playmakers a ball in open space. I mean, there's a reason why Michael Pittman was so good, uh, why Devin Williams was really good, why Trey Franklin had an impact, why Johnny Johnson had an impact. They gave them the ball in open space. And the rushing rushing attack wasn't really working for Oregon against UCLA's defense. What they do? They turned into screen passes. They got them out in the open space. They gave their athletes a chance to make a play with the ball, and they did it. And that's something they need to continue to do. Uh, Colorado's a good defense. Uh, I think, honestly, I think really do think that they are a good defense. They've held opponents really, really well this year. And it's not going to be unbelievably easy for Oregon to come out with on fire, but they ha- they have to do something. I, they can't just sit back and have it be like a seven to nothing first quarter where they lead. And you know, they really need to put the foot on the gas and try to end this game before halftime almost. All right, let's move over to some predictions now for this game. Um, I'll start off with some individual offensive predictions. Anthony Brown last week did not throw a touchdown pass. And I think we're going to see that flipped here a little bit this week. Um, He only has, I believe, what is it, nine? I think it's seven. Yeah, seven. Seven touchdown passes this season. Um, I think he hits double digits this year, this on the year with three touchdown passes uh, or more against Colorado. And he backs up his play from UCLA from a production yard standpoint and has another really good game where he's in that like 250 to 300 range. First time all season, I'm going to make an Anthony Brown prediction, and it's identical to the one Matt just made. You can read my Scopel Domus uh, column that's up on the site right now, and I go into a little more detail. But, yeah, I have three touchdowns or more for Anthony Brown. Um, I've been careful not to do too many of these, but just because the play's not been fantastic. and But I, I – mean, maybe I'm just trying to be a little – maybe I'm too optimistic here, but I felt like a little bit of a – I saw something stuff that I was encouraged by against UCLA. It's, I guess the best way of saying mm-hmm. it. And I, I think there's an opportunity – in this game to throw the ball around a little bit against the Colorado defense, which is in the back half of the conference statistically, um, that maybe we'll have a harder time stopping the run than normal because of the absence of Nate Landman. Um, so, yeah, give me Anthony Brown three more touchdowns. Matt and I are on lockstep there. Uh, I went for the rushing attack. Uh, I think the running back room, I couldn't really pick an individual. I, I, I feel like the trio, I'm going to say trio of running backs, are going to really perform against Colorado, especially with Nate Lamb and being out. I think Oregon's offensive line is far superior to Colorado's defensive pressure. So I have Oregon's running back room with over 250 yards rushing and three tutties. I think if there's a game to get either Trey Benson, Byron Cardwell, or Seven McGee into it, it's against Colorado, and it's in the, it's in, in the second half. You know, Travis Dye might be the workhorse in the first half. I fully expect him to be. He's been nothing but that since C.J. Burdell was out with a season-ending injury. you got to see what you got behind him, and they need to do that this week. Team team prediction here. Um, offensively, I think – well, I know these. Uh, Oregon averages 6.25 yards per play on offense and that is third in the conference um from an offensive yards per play production standpoint colorado is sixth in allowing 5.71 yards per play on defense i think oregon's going to average over six and a half yards per play in this one i maybe i'm drinking the kool-aid maybe i'm not just drinking i mean maybe i'm drunk off of it but I think this is going to be. I think this is going to be Oregon's best offensive game of the year, and it's going to come against the Colorado defense that has been good, but they're without their best player, the guy that just gets all their tackles, and Oregon's coming back home. I, I just thinking something really good offensively is going to happen in this game, and you can blame me when it doesn't happen. <laughs> 
<laughs> Blame us all because we're all pretty optimistic about this one. Um, and I hope you're not drunk at 10.15 on Friday. Um, What's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. You're right. You're right. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I will note that I made these predictions prior to the Nate Landman news coming out. So it, this felt more bold in the moment with thought that he was probably playing. Um, because Carl did announce it like an hour after I wrote the column. But I, I have Oregon scoring um, two touchdowns more than what Colorado averages. You know, Colorado's defense has allowed 20 points per game this season. I think Oregon's going to get more than 34. I think they'll get two or more scores than that. Um, again, sounded bolder when I thought Colorado was at full strength, which they're not. So um, Oregon's offense, 34 more points. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm drinking the Kool-Aid as well. I saw a lot of things in the UCLA game that I really didn't anticipate seeing even this season with Anthony Brown, at quarterback. Uh, they took shots downfield. They gave him the option to throw the ball over the middle, at like that 15 to 18-yard range. And I really I felt like something clicked offensively. I know Anthony Brown had two interceptions in the second half, and the, the second one to Devin Williams was – Unfortunate, I'll still take that attempt all day long. Devin Williams was open. It was a poor throw from Anthony Brown. It happened. It was just at a you know, rather crucial point in the game, which you don't really want to turn the ball over. I digress. My prediction is I think Oregon's going to have over 500 yards of total offense. I think this is going to be, like Matt said, like one of like Oregon's best offensive performance. Um, it really felt like something clicked offensively, to me at least, you know, rewatching the game as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. again, maybe this is just another situation where Oregon plays down to their competition level. And they certainly played up to it against UCLA, but I really do believe that they found something. Maybe I'm also drunk off the Kool-Aid at this point during the day. <laughs> Who knows? All right. Uh, defensive individual prediction. And... I feel like this, I was pretty crazy with Noah Sewell last week. Um, 18 total tackles. Did not obviously hit that. Looked like at, at one point he was on pace to be in, in line for it. Um, then he didn't do anything in the second half from a tackle perspective. I know he did plenty. Um, but I'm going Kayvon Thibodeau here. And I'm going to double down on his performance um, against UCLA. I think he has five or more tackles for loss. I'm stealing Eric's from last week. He has five or more tackles for loss. I think he has two and a half sacks, and he has ten total tackles. Oof, that would and it, that's it, a hell of a game. It's a hell of a game. Well, I mean, and we laugh about it, but we can't discount it because we just saw the no. UCLA. Like, yeah, that is better than this Colorado right. team. Um, I'll say this: if Kayvon has, if this is just what it is the rest of the way. He's going to win Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. And, and I know we talked about the Heisman candidacy, and I don't think that's legitimate. But I, I think even having missed as much time as he has, he'll still be a first-team All-American if he continues yeah. to play at the pace that we're talking about if what Matt says happens. Um, and that's significant considering, again, on the stat sheet it says he misses two games, but he really missed more than that. He played like 13 snaps against Arizona, and he played one half against Cal. So, I mean, he really has only played like three three games, like if you want to talk about game games that were like even close to being complete. And that's not even true because he missed the first quarter against – he only played a quarter against Fresno State. So, I mean, again, he's really only played one full game technically from start to finish and then he played most of Stanford. Um, if he continues to produce like that, that's going to be some crazy stuff. I'm here for it, though. Um, I'm going Verone McKinley. He's been a little quiet recently. You think mm-hmm. back to how he started the season, obviously sealed the Ohio State game, turned around, had two picks against Stony Brook. Um, I think he had a pick against Arizona. I believe he had four in like a three-game stretch there. Um, hasn't really been quite as productive since. And I just kind of feel like this is maybe the game, and, and maybe I'm just getting deja vu, but the last time Colorado traveled up here, Oregon won 45-3, to and Verone McKinley had two interceptions. So I'm predicting Verone McKinley two interceptions in this game. Uh, he gets back on it. And for him, it's a deal where I think he I – mean, I don't want to say he's focused entirely on statistical accomplishments, but I do think he wants to lead the conference in interceptions. I think that's something he's aware of. He's currently leading that. I think he's still second nationally or tied for it with four. Um, he's been a little quiet of late. I think he changes that. I think he gets two this weekend. I thought about going a secondary member as well with Michael Wright. I think this is just kind of one of those games where if Oregon's, you know, pass rush is good enough, 
that Colorado's going to really struggle in the pass game and really struggle in the rush game as well. And well, I mean, and they're not a great offense to begin with, but I decided to go with Noah Sewell. Um, I went through all the box scores and five of the last six games against Colorado linebacker has led the opposition in tackling. I think that's probably going to happen again on Saturday. Uh, I have Noah Sewell with over eight and a half tackles and under three tackles for loss. I'm thinking probably around like the two, two and a half range. So Sewell, like Matt said, he didn't do uh, like a lot in terms of tackling in the second half against UCLA. When you rewatch the film, Sewell is basically a spy all second half, just not letting Dorian Thompson, Thompson Robinson get outside the pocket. I think he had two pass, pass deflections or breakups during the game as well. And they were both him just sitting basically right at the start of the offensive-defensive line matchup and just, just sitting there waiting for Dorian Thompson-Robin to make a move or make a throw and then jump up and try to block it down. I thought he was really good against UCLA. I think he's been amazing so far this season. His pass coverage has gotten a lot better over the course of the year, and I think he's going to shine once again against Colorado. Defensive predictions now for the Oregon um, team prediction. I think Oregon is going to finish this football game with at least 12 tackles for loss. Um in this contest. I, I obviously think KT is going to get nearly half of that with five or more, but I just, I don't know what it is. This, this Cal team is putrid awful on offense. And I think it's going to open the door for Oregon to be ultra aggressive because the, the chance of you getting caught and it hurting you aren't as great as a UCLA. They don't have a mobile quarterback. That's like DTR. They don't have you – know, Brendan Rice is a solid receiver, but it's not like he's a bust open over-the-top deep threat where he can just run right by everybody. Um, they just don't have anything good offensively. And so I think mm-hmm. Oregon's going to take some chances here, and I think they're going to finish this game with 12 or more tackles for loss. Brendan Rice, by the way, for those listening, if you don't know this, you're going to hear it 20 times on Saturday, the son of Jerry Rice. Um, so get ready for that. Not, 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 I don't want to take anything away from that's a pretty cool story. I'm a huge Jerry Rice fan. Um, growing up was obviously the goat. So, but that's something you'll hear a lot, I think, on Saturday. Um, so be prepared. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, the stat about what Colorado has done offensively and losses. Part of the reason I knew that was because I did the research and included it in my Scopaldamas column on Wednesday. Um, I think Oregon is going to be the third team to keep Colorado under 150 yards of total offense. That sounded bold. A lot of people on the site were like, there's no way that's happening. And then I point to, well, Minnesota, 64 yards. California, 60 or 104 yards. I mean, this is the type of thing that this team has struggled to do this year, if you're looking at Colorado, is to move the ball effectively and consistently. And we've seen it really bite them. So I'm going 150 or fewer yards. I think Oregon's defense is better than, frankly, both of those teams. Um, mm-hmm. And you're getting a Colorado team that, Certainly, he wants to prove something, I think, coming off a really embarrassing game against Cal. Because, I mean, to, just to put their season in perspective, I think there was a little bit of optimism after they shut out Arizona in the fashion they did. They're 34 to nothing. You know, that second half, they outscored him 28 nothing, had a defensive touchdown, a special teams touchdown, had a long touchdown pass to Brendan Rice, another nice touchdown pass um, from Lewis to Dimitri Stanley. You go watch those highlights, you see, okay, they. They can they, when things are working, they can throw it a little bit. I mean, but obviously, you look at the statistics; they tell you the opposite. So, um, I think they thought they may have had something going, and then to have such a just total letdown game against Cal. Obviously, they're going to be motivated to try to, to improve upon that. I just don't see it. I really don't. And you know, I think to me, to me honestly, the route to Colorado getting over 150 yards is probably they have some sort of big play, whether it's a, a Jarek Broussard long run who. A year ago was the conference player of the year. We haven't even mentioned that on offense. He had four games over 100 yards, one game over 300 yards against Arizona a year ago. This year, no games over 100 yards. Um, Or it's a Brendan Rice going deep. I mean, that is a speed receiver. He will be one of the faster guys Oregon faces all season on the outside. That's going to be a challenge, but not that much of a challenge where I'm concerned. But, like, that would be to me where I would be concerned about me missing this one Um, because I don't think it's going to be sustained drives. And Oregon has done a really good job of keeping the top off of defenses in the pass game, too. So 
um, that would be the only route I really see them missing this one from, from my perspective. I had basically the same prediction. I had keeping Oregon, uh, Colorado's offense under 200 yards and also forcing three total turnovers. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's the same exact I, – I did basically the same exact research as Eric did. And this Colorado offense is susceptible to being absolutely shut out and just no way around it. And I think Oregon has – really confident in their defense right now. They've had a couple good games in a row defensively. They're especially against UCLA. I think I thought what they did in their in their game against UCLA, especially with their rush defense, was extremely impressive. Uh on Thibodeau's best player in the country, said it plenty of times, gonna continue to say it. That's gonna be just an, a nightmare matchup for them. Um I could see a potential big play. Um not really, though. Yeah, I, this is Colorado is just very bad at offense, and there's no other, there's no if and or buts about it. I don't expect the new offensive line coach to have a sudden spark in their running game. Maybe they do, but I do think Oregon's rush defense is good enough to the point where they still continue to hold them under 200 yards. All right, uh, game predictions for this one. I've kind of gone back and forth on them covering or not covering. Um, I'm going against my comments I made at the beginning of the year, or not the beginning of the year, but like midway through the season when I said I'm not going to pick them until I see that they cover. Um, I'm going to pick a cover. Uh, 41-13 Oregon, 28-point victory for the Ducks. Um, I, I think this is one in which it's probably going to be a backdoor cover. Um Offensive touchdown very late in the game for its second string. Maybe gets the Ducks over the, the hump there. Um, but I think Oregon starters, they're not going to give up 13 points. Um, they're they're going to give up probably more like three, maybe seven. Um, and then the other 10 points will come via um, Colorado putting on some points against Oregon's backups in the fourth quarter when they're just trying to find some kind of positive thing to latch onto in this game. Um, I think Oregon's going to look good in the first half. There might be some kind of lull midway through the game here a little bit offensively, but this should be, in my eyes, one of Oregon's better games of the year. Did the line move? It was 24 on Wednesday when I made my predictions. It has not moved. Okay. I just want to make cool. sure because I do want to pick a cover and, and the number I had in my head was the one I shared on the site, which is I think it'll be 35 to 10. That's my prediction. I think um, I, mean, I think we're all going to be pretty, I'm guessing we're all going to be fairly close in predictions. I don't know. Jared last week head faked us and went UCLA. I don't know if you're going to go buffs this week. Head um, faked? <laughs> what are we talking about head faked? I'm just kidding. You're right. Here with this. You're right. We all we we all went you we all went Oregon and you went UCLA and you're right. We, we, there was plenty of ammunition. It was a tough was, you know it was a tough tough call for you us. You guys all said, "Oh, I could see it happening too." Yet yeah, I was the only one to predict it. <laughs> Let's not rewrite history. You're right. We both we picked Oregon, but we did say yeah, it could yeah. go either way. And, and I, I picked them by what, like four points, five points. So it wasn't like we you know I'm saying head fake here because. We ex I had expected you would be in the consensus with this, and you weren't. And this week, obviously, you're going to be in the consensus, and it won't be a head fake. But maybe you won't. Okay, now you're now maybe you actually will. Now you're, now you're giving me the belief that you will. No, um, I, I I just I just don't find it. I find it very hard to believe this game is particularly competitive. And I, I I'm still I think 35 10 to me probably for some on the site will that's probably on the lower spread in terms of what people are expecting. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe a lot of people aren't picking the cover. I think it's a cover by the slimmest of margins, though. And so I think 35-10, I think Oregon gets off to a good start. Um, and in the second half is able to use some backups. I don't think it's a game where you look at the score and you look at Colorado and you come away thinking we talk style points. Maybe maybe that doesn't come across. But I think in terms of pure dominance, this is a game where Oregon is, is clearly the better team. I think they play like it. I am not head faking, just to be clear. Uh, I have Oregon winning 42-14. to 14. They're going to cover – this is just one of those games where Oregon just dominates in every fashion. Um, like I was saying earlier, I really do think that something has clicked in Oregon's offensive mentality and their game plan. Uh, I think Anthony Brown has maybe figured something out in terms of 
just his overall passing level, making quick reads, quick decisions over the middle and down the sideline. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing him take shots when UCLA jumped off sides. I think that only happened twice. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. We'll, I, I really do think that the Stanford loss was a huge implication of how important Joe Moorhead is to this program and this offense. And now that he's back for the third straight week, I think this is going to be another good offensive showing for Oregon. Um, and for defense, I, I really do think that Colorado is probably just going to score one touchdown with the starters in the field. And even then, I'm not 100% confident in that. Uh, I do think for the fourth quarter, there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of backups on the field. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's exactly what Oregon wants. They need to give these guys game reps at one point or the other. And I don't know. I make this prediction, and I kind of feel like how I was against Arizona. It's like the same idea where Arizona's mm -hmm. just a bad team. And there is this incessant thought into my brain that's like, what if something doesn't go right here and Colorado takes the opening kickoff for a touchdown and Oregon suddenly finds themselves down seven to nothing. But I will remain confident in my pick at 42 to 14 for Oregon to win. It's going to be an interesting game. I mean, I think there's a lot of storylines for one where it's a top 10 team against a two and five team. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think there's a lot of interesting nuances in this game to, to look at and see how it plays out. So uh, next time you hear us on the podcast will be our post-game edition. We are very thankful it will be a Saturday late afternoon podcast and not a Sunday early morning podcast. But uh, next time you hear us will be the post-game edition. So thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.